Hello, everybody. Welcome to Election Edition 2021 of Pod BN. Today, we are talking to Normal Town Council candidate Scott Preston. First, we'd like to thank Little Beaver Brewery. Little Beaver Brewery has a great restaurant that I've been talking about at length, but if you're not in the mood to go there, they are also serving their beer at many places around town. You can pick some up at Green Top Grocery. They've got it at Epiphany Farms. They've got it at Night Shop in downtown Bloomington. Going up to Normal, they have it at Buffalo Wild Wings. It's at the Stave Wine Bar. It's all over town. So um, if you're ever in a restaurant and you're looking for a craft beer to pick up, I don't think you can go wrong with Little Beaver Brewery. And now, on with the show. All right, we are joined with Scott Preston. Uh current town and normal uh council person and he is running for what term is this for you scott this will be my third term i'm uh, just wrapping up my second awesome awesome well thanks for coming on to pod b and we start off just tell us a little bit about you you mentioned how long you've been on council uh tell tell the listeners just a little bit more about you absolutely well great to be with you guys it's an honor to be here and thank you for the invitation uh you guys have been doing a great job um i've been listening to most, uh, not quite all, uh, you know, we do have to spend some time out there actually campaigning, but I have listened to most of the uh, candidates, both Bloomington and Normals you have done so far, and uh, thanks for doing these. These are great. So uh, I'm Scott Preston. I am running for re-election to the Normal Town Council. Uh, I'm born and raised in this community, in Bloomington Normal. I've been here my entire life. I graduated from Normal West High School and Illinois State University, and while I was at ISU, I studied political science and business administration. And I think that the combination of those two fields of study have really uh, kind of been a foundation uh, for my life and my life's work um, since. It was during my time at ISU that I really found a passion, not only for uh, politics and government, um, but a passion for public service and a passion for this community uh, that I had been in my entire life, but didn't fully appreciate uh, until my time really at ISU. And so when I was a junior at ISU and I was 21 years old, Way back in uh, two, God, 2009, um, I, uh, at 21, I thought, you know what? ISU students are the single largest demographic of our population in normal. Uh, they make up about one third, give or take, the population in normal. Uh, with six council members, if we're one third of the population, I thought we should have at least one sixth of representation. And uh, I ran for council um, that first time in 2009. I was not successful, um, which Thankfully, for everybody's sake, that uh, that was not uh, something I uh, was able to make it through. But it was much more of a win than a loss experience overall, because the people it allowed me to meet, uh, the issues it allowed me to really understand better, and uh, like get just a better understanding and a better opportunity for meaningful involvement in this community. And in that way, uh, as I said, it was much more of a win than a loss, and only furthered my passion for serving here in Bloomington Normal, and Normal specifically, and so stuck with it, and four years later came back and uh, was honored uh, to get elected uh, in 2013. Um, and fun fact, at that point, I was the uh, youngest council member ever uh, elected in Normal's history at uh, 25, so. Awesome, awesome. So you've had a journey. Uh, so this is over the last uh, eight years. What are some things that you kind of like uh, feathers in your cap? What are some things you're proud of during your time on council? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are a great community. Normal is a great town. Um, it's also a town that has changed a lot since I first started on council. You know, I don't have to remind everybody. I don't have to remind anybody 
Uh, we have all been through this past year with the pandemic and how that has totally turned upside down so many aspects of our world and our life, our businesses, um, across the board. Uh, I also think that one of the big changes that I've seen um, in the dynamic that really started four years ago uh, in spring of 2017's election, because that was the first election of any kind after uh, former President Trump had gotten inaugurated, that you see the uh, a change in tone um, that, it, from my perspective, has started at the national level um, and the kind of divisiveness and the level of it getting personal uh, beyond just issues, but uh, really in, in some cases becoming nasty and personal, that started at the national level, that has really permeated into our local nonpartisan uh, municipal, you know, city hall, helping your neighborhood, working on the street next door, like local stuff. And that dynamic and that tone, um, I think is not only unfortunate, uh, but I think that's uh, detrimental. And I think in a lot of cases, um, you know, continuing a kind of division, uh, at the end of the day, how does that help what we're trying to do, how we're trying to serve the issues we're trying to resolve, um, inserting politics and partisan politics is, is unfortunate. And so that's something that I've been, um, I've been actively uh, voicing, you know, and standing up uh, against. Uh, we are a nonpartisan body in normal. I am really glad that we are. And I hope that in practice, not just in title, uh, that that dignity um, to the conversation uh, is, I mean, restored to the extent it needs to be restored uh, and preserved to the extent that uh, it's there and can be preserved. It, uh, it, it's incredibly important that we remain productive, not let politics muddy down uh, the issues that actually impacts everybody's lives. Uh, let's talk about that a little more since you brought it up. Cause I, I like, uh, that's definitely an observation that I don't think uh, is difficult for me to make. It's just how ugly it's gotten on a local level. Um, you, you're pinning it to that first municipal election after Trump was inaugurated. And that might be the case. Um, what, like, where have you seen that hurt productivity on council where maybe be, is it the public that's being the divisive? Has there been people on council that's been fed into that? Like what's stopping that productivity from happening and why is that the fault of this? Um, I mean, is it going back to Trump being elected? Is that what's doing it? Is it media? Like we hear all these different excuses of why things are so divisive now. What are you pinning it to and how has that hurt production on council? Yeah. I mean, wherever you want to, you know, place the blame and place where it actually started. People can do that on, you know, on their own. Is there probably some shared responsibility, you know, across the board at the national level? Uh, sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there is. Right. But my, my point is that I think it started the change in tone in our politics and our governing started at the national level. Um, and that, you know, pr prior, like when I first got elected council in 13, for instance, that dynamic and that tone uh, had not impacted local municipal government community service. It was not politicized as I think it, uh, it has been since, you know, in terms of uh, what's the real impact on our normal council. I mean, I think that unfortunately people can see that they're, if they watch council meetings, um, that we are a body that we can disagree on issues. There are times when, you know, any of the six of us plus the mayor will disagree on one issue or another in one way or another. That is healthy and that is good for I mean, good for democracy. It's good for our local government. It's good for the people that we serve um, to have that diversity of thought. But when the council conversation uh, at the table, you know, on our uh, first and third Monday nights, when there are times that it then goes beyond that 
and it then takes on, um, a, you know, just a tone of divisiveness and uh, gets into just focusing on information that isn't part of the issue that we're talking about or bringing in personality differences and that becoming the focus of our conversation at the council table. I don't see how that's productive and I don't see how that, uh, you know, ultimately, how does that help the larger picture of what we're trying to do, which is solve people's problems that actually have an impact on how they live um, and, and work and play here in normal. Yeah. I tell you, I, I've seen it both ways too. Like it, I remember, I, I always like use the analogy of the grocery store. Like if, if you don't see the president weekly at the grocery store, right? So you can you bash the president all you want. You can say he's a big piece of crap, whichever party happen to be, happens to be in office. But at a local level, city council, county board, those types of positions, like you see those people in your neighborhood, kids, soccer games uh, at the grocery store, like I said. So it's a lot. It used to be a lot more difficult to say, hey, you suck to somebody when you're face to face like that. And they're in your community. But it seems like that that's gotten lost. Right. Like it used to be you see them and you say, hey, I didn't like how you voted on X, Y, Z. You know, why did you vote that way? And we would have more of a coming from a place of understanding or trying to understand. And now it's an instant divisive personal attacks towards those local elected officials. And then what that in my eyes has done is it's also made elected officials very defensive when questioned at all by the public because they're afraid that they're going to get personally attacked. Um, You know, I've noticed that happening, too, which is a natural reaction, I think, (laughs) to being kind of crapped on for in the media, you know, in blogs and media and all that kind of stuff. So what, what are things that on a local level, you know, people on town council and county board and those types of positions, what can they do to help swing that back the other way? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I agree with your sentiments there entirely. And, you know, look at the local level, I, as I've talked about, and is it not a surprise to anybody, the stuff that we're talking about at City Hall has more of an impact on our daily lives than anything out of Springfield or Washington, right? You wake up in the morning, you turn on the uh, sink to brush your teeth. It's the town of normal water um, that's coming through that sink. And it's our responsibility to make sure that it's there and that it's safe and that it's healthy for you. Uh, you drive on our streets uh, most of the time. So I'm our state without getting too tired, but you know, drive on our streets, um, walk on our sidewalks. And at the end of uh, like, in your time of emergency, when you're calling 911, it's the normal fire department or the normal police department that's coming out to uh, coming out to rescue. So the, the issues that are local are not inherently partisan and not inherently political, like some at the national level and state level, for that matter, too. So uh, to your question of, you know, uh, like, what can we do about it? How does, uh, you know, how do we move past it? I think that there is a, um, while the tone has changed and the national level has really permeated the local, I believe, um, and in going out and meeting people and talking at doors and getting a glimpse into their daily lives as they are, where they are, when they are, uh, there are a lot of people who we don't hear from, we don't, uh, you know, are not the loudest in the room, um, are not shouting from one side or any side or the other, um, but who are tired of the division in government overall. And I think that remembering and focusing on and staying grounded in the fact that those people, though we may not hear them as the loudest voices in a conversation, uh, that those voices are out there. Um, they're out there in large number. And I think that people are tired of the division and um, want just people who are genuine and authentic and productive. And you may not agree on every issue, but you can hash it out. You can debate it. 
agree to disagree and you can still go get a beer at a uh, little brew, you know, a little beaver brewery when, uh, when you're done and it doesn't become personal. That's the difference. Go. There you go. So let me ask this question and I don't know, I don't know if you're even going to want to answer it, but what, because of the changes of the climate of the political climate over the last, uh, you know, four, four, six years, was there any question when it came to you running again for this third term? Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I, I don't mind answering it. Um, <laughs> no, there was not any question. I think that uh, the work is too important frankly, that we're doing, and it's at a pivotal time with the town of Normal coming through this pandemic uh, is, I mean, we're really in a lot of ways are at a turning point from a different respects, pandemic being one, Rivian being another, the political environment being a third, if you want to, you know, tie that part of this conversation in. Uh, and now more than ever, we need good, you know, reasonable, pragmatic people in government that uh, are there for the right reasons. And I hope that, uh, hope the people of Normal still um, think that I am one of those as they uh, hopefully have in the past. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, th I think anybody that runs for office, I thought this before the climate kind of got worse as it is today. Um, but it, it's a very noble thing to do because you put yourself out there. It's a, it's a thinkless position for the most part. Um, you do get paid uh, something. Uh, I don't think you get paid what you're worth uh, for being on council, but you do get paid, you do get paid something. Um, but it's, it's, it's $153 and some change every two weeks. There you go. <laughs> That's what I mean. So, I mean, it, it's, it's though it is more than Bloomington, right? So um, it, I've been fighting. The only reason I bring that up is because I've been telling them that they need to raise that for a long time. Um, but yeah, no, it is a thinkless job for the most part. And you, you take yourself and put yourself through the ringer, um, for, and your family gets exposed, um, and they have to read about you and all that stuff. So it's, uh, I do appreciate anybody, even if I don't agree with them politically, that is willing to step up and do that, I think is a noble thing to do. What, um, so you're running for this term. What are some things over the next four years? Let's take COVID aside. Cause we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about COVID, but take COVID aside. Uh, what are some things in the next four years that you would like to see the town check off and that you can help help push forward? Sure, absolutely. Uh, economic growth has to be a top priority of ours in the next four years. We will we'll get into more COVID stuff later. Uh, that is a big component to the economic growth opportunity that we have in this community um, and how we're kind of really positioned at a point where uh, normal can thrive and normal can grow and jobs, um, job creators can continue to uh, either be retained here um, or new ones be attracted. I think we are in prime position for that and making sure that we have a government that is conducive to that, responsive to that, does not create added hurdles or get in the way of that uh, private sector activity is a good thing. Um, economic activity uh, overall is, uh, is got to be a number one priority um, as we look forward. Another key component to that, which I'm sure we'll touch back on uh, as well, is Rivian. I mean, Rivian is killing it. They are, uh, they've raised over $2 billion in venture capital. Um, they are like just, I mean, they are on fire. Honestly, when Rivian first came to this community, you know, I, I, and Justin, you'll recall this, and I'm sure many of your listeners will as well. It was, I mean, it was a higher risk deal uh, then um, than I think most that, you know, come. Now, not for manufacturers, but when most businesses look at, hey, you know, we want to come to this community and bring jobs. I mean, most of them aren't startups, right? At that level, and um, there was there was some, I think, just sentiment in the you know in certain pockets of the community that hey, there was hope, but we knew that this was not a guarantee um, at that point. And man, how they have uh, grown and the jobs that they are like have already pr uh, pr produced, provided here, um, 
he's incredible. I, you know, we're, we're cheering Rivian, Rivian on all the way. And I think that that will be a catalyst to continue for, you know, suppliers and other companies to come around the kind of partnerships that they have and can continue to grow with like talent pipelines, with trades and labor, with unit five, with Heartland, with ISU, you know, districts, whatever, like that stuff is great. And that's really wide reaching in our community and has a great impact um, across the board. And it also uh, is just a perfect, um, a perfectly uh, timed, I think, opportunity in some ways uh, when our community uh, was, you know, I had previously not had the most diverse local economy. And, and we were, you know, starting to recognize that, hey, dynamics in business do change and dynamics in industries do change. And we can't, you know, be entirely 100% reliant only on one forever uh, as a result. And, uh, you know, Rivian bringing a new um, set of skills and uh, innovation needs in this community uh, is a great thing. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of, it's, it's fun to watch a journey though, especially from a startup like that. Um, and, and how the size, the, the sheer magnitude of that, you know, billions of dollars when you, anything that starts with a B, right. <laughs> Once they say billions of dollars, it gets everybody a little excited. Um, that it's, that they're doing that right. And normal is pretty impressive too. So. I, I, I'm sure all those, uh, you know, big equity players, Amazon and Ford and the like it, what sold the deal to them, I'm sure was, Hey, we got a plant in normal Illinois. Wait yeah. till you see this place. You really need to invest in us Rivian. I'm, I'm sure that was it. Yeah. So Rivian always offers a, a good segue for me to talk about Uptown because I mean, the story has been told a number of times where um, RJ kind of visited and really fell in love with Uptown. So, so talk to me a little bit about that, but then transition to, you know, what your thoughts of Uptown and then, you know, the next step up to Uptown 2.0 as it's called, commonly called. Yeah, you bet. So yeah, that, uh, the, uh, what has since really become kind of a legendary uh, story, uh, I think in a lot of ways is that when Rivian was looking at the former Mitsubishi plant facility, but they had not made a uh, decision on whether or not they were going to uh, pursue acquiring it or not. Uh, he, as I understand it, was at uh, RJ was at the Coffee Hound in Uptown Normal um, and just kind of posting up him and a couple other Rivian um, execs and part of that uh, much smaller team at that point um, at the Coffee Hound in Uptown and just like not overly engaging with people or not trying to do anything scientific other than get the feel for the community, for the people coming in and out, for the daily lives and for kind of the culture um, in, uh, in this community and in normal. And, uh, I, as legend has it though, I was not at the, uh, at the hound that day, um, to witness it myself. It was, that was one of the components, um, uh, that certainly, uh, like, you know, pushed them over the edge to really falling in love with this community across the board. And, uh, and obviously they went forward with, um, acquiring the property and, um, hadn't been on a roll ever since. Yeah. Uptown. It, yeah. It, it, and, um, up, yeah, Uptown overall. So it, uh, you know, Uptown, and I see that uh, Jeremy is um, with us too. And whoever <laughs> ends up doing this lightning round, it. I hope that Uptown is one of the things. If it's not, I'll say it now. But I'll still, uh, I'll still insert it if you guys don't later. Uh, my one word for Uptown: be vibrant. It, it you know, the uh, environment, the microeconomy that's been created there overall um, is definitely a win. If you want to give it just a pass fail grade and nothing else for uptown, I would give it a pass, um, overall. Now there are specific, um, there are specific deals and specific instances that I did not support, um, with uptown and that, uh, were not perfect. Uh, no question. Um, no question about that, but overall, 
Uh, Uptown is a vibrant place. It's a place that uh, attracts, um, I mean, is it is attractive and it's unique to this community. Uh, it, it's great for ISU and it's great for others in providing that kind of urban renewal um, really at a time that people 20, uh, 21, 22 years ago now, uh, back in 99 and 2000, uh, had the vision to see, hey, this you know, trend is really starting to develop and we have a need with, at that point, a pretty sleepy, not very exciting downtown normal and what it could become. And it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I'm, I live in Bloomington. And so, I mean, and it's been overdone with a comparison between downtown and uptown. And there are things that I want downtown Bloomington to do differently than normal has done. Um, but I think there's still a lot of uh, things we can look north to to see examples of uh and i mean i'm always jealous on every um you know cvb material you see the uptown circle and <laughs> um you know and it's just such a and that that you're you're welcome over anytime justin i, I visit yeah. often i I'm, a, I'm i ride my bike right through there a lot and i love i loved i mean covid kind of put a stop to it last year but i love when there's you know someone playing guitar uh in uptown just randomly too. I mean, they have set state things too, but sometimes people just stop and start playing. And I love that too. Um, I remember when that was, you know, a huge controversy when that circle was, was talked about, you know, you're going to put a park in the middle of a street and you expect people to come. Like I remember all those comments and then you drive by there anytime and it's full. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So Jeremy, I'll let you introduce the lightning round for Scott and uh, I'm sure we'll pick up some topics out of that lightning round. Talk about the second half. Sure. Well, I, I think I think you kind of know how we do this. Um, we're looking for first thing pops to your mind. Um, you know, three words sort of thing. Not not long sentence, but just the quick, quick and dirty. When I say an issue or say an item, um, jump in with first thing that hits you. So, um, because you requested it, the first one is uptown. Uh, vibrant would be my word for that. Yes, thank you. And, we, I, and I, hope that was, I hope that was on the list, no matter what. It, you know, it I was put actually you on the spot the very, there. It was the very first one, but uh, I'll, I'll let you think that, you know, you, you requested those on there. That's good. <laughs> uh, next one is Connect Transit. Community asset. Uh, Rivian. Uh, I mean, Rivian's just killing it. Yeah, they're, they're a game changer. ISU. The best, like, one of the greatest things about normal and the community overall. The sports complex. Undecided. Um, urban sprawl. Uh, balanced. Constitution trail. It, great quality of life. Economic development. Balanced. Important. And then the, yeah. It, I mean, economic development overall, incredibly important. If you want to talk incentives, balanced. Economic development yeah. is huge. Okay. And the final one is city of Bloomington. Love them. Yeah. Attached at the hip. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on a few of those uh, here in a little bit, but we, I, I held off the COVID conversation for Jeremy also. So we'll talk about COVID. Talk to me about um, Scott, how you think looking back in retrospect, which I mean, I think in retrospect, it's always easier to pick out maybe some things you would have done differently or some things you did well. So what are some things that town of normal has done really well um, uh, in this past year when dealing with COVID? What are some things you might've done differently? Yeah. Uh, so uh, good question. Obviously that has been uh, of course the primary focus and the effects thereof from a health standpoint, from a 
uh, I mean, regulation standpoint, from an economic standpoint, uh, COVID, COVID has been uh, no doubt the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that we've been talking about, obviously. Um, things we did well. I am uh, very excited about uh, our town of normal um, $450,000 in small business grants uh, that we gave out just last month, I believe it was, um, just a handful of weeks ago, uh, to um, small businesses in the town of Norma who were directly impacted by COVID. Uh, they could have up to $1,500 uh, allocated to them um, as a way to you know, provide some kind of relief for businesses that haven't been able to operate or haven't been able to operate um, near you know, uh, the level that they were prior to covid uh, that's something that I'm very proud of. Um, another aspect that I think the town normal has done well is utilizing our federal dollars um, that came from the CARES Act and using that for housing um, and rental assistance. You know, we talked about on the business side, also looking at from, an, uh, you know, how much the economy has impacted uh, everyone this last year with COVID, you know, the pandemic, it's not just the business, it's those that work for them. And uh, being able to provide uh, relief and assistance for individuals with rent relief, uh, utilities help, um, and the like. All of our money uh, from federal dollars, town and normal for COVID, uh, with individual help, we have focused on the housing assistance program. Uh, we just uh, approved a another uh, allocation of that recently, um, and I think that's incredibly important. One of the things that I did not agree with, um, and uh, my vote reflected that, was um, the uh, Finding well, and let me let me say one more positive. Then I'll uh, then I'll get into my uh, one um, that I fell on the other side of. So um, another was looking at our uh, liquor license fees. So for so many of our restaurants and our event shops in the town of Normal, at the time the pandemic had started, they had already paid their liquor license fees. So the annual fees to have their liquor license from the town of Normal to be able to serve their alcohol. Those had already been paid for 2020 before the pandemic began. And so in 2021, we just, uh, the council we just recently, and I was a big supporter of, um, voted to waive the 2021 fees for those liquor license holders um, that, were, that were in compliance um, with state and federal um, laws and that were uh, really impacted the most during COVID um, as a way to kind of mitigate you know, and, and help a little bit, the fact that they paid these fees, you know, a couple thousand dollars at least uh, last year, and then really weren't able to, uh, weren't able to serve alcohol for much of the year. And so uh, those are things I'm, uh, those things I'm definitely uh, proud of. I think Town Normal has done a good job um, doing that and uh, certainly been focused in the right way uh, from my perspective on those. One of the things that I uh, did not agree with um, that uh, the majority of my colleagues on council um, felt and passed uh, was our uh, fining of Joe's Pizza Pub at College Hills. Uh, that is something that we, uh, the town of Normal utilized the uh, liquor code to do. That was the mechanism with which Joe's was ultimately found in violation and hence um, why, they were, uh, why they were fined. The only part of the liquor code that was violated by Joe's was the condition that um, in order to be a liquor license holder, uh, you have to abide by all state and federal laws. Um, and uh, that 
and that is the component um, as the reasoning behind uh, why the you know uh, the mayor and others um, wanted to bring forth this thing against Joe's is that they were having uh, some indoor dining at a time that that was not uh, permitted by the governor's executive order. My thought is there is nothing specific to the liquor code itself, substantively, you know, regarding liquor service, um, uh, you know, how they handle alcohol, anything like that, that they were in violation of. The governor's office, if they're putting out the executive orders, uh, they have the ability to enforce them. Um, in a number of cases, they are around the state. I thought that that should be, uh, if they're going to put out the executive orders and they're, they're enforcing elsewhere, it was a job, you know, if they want to do enforce Joe's, they can. But at a time when businesses are struggling, I didn't think that it was our place to almost go out of our way um, to do that when, you know, it wasn't something that was substantive to our local uh, ordinances or laws. It was a state um, the executive order. And I didn't think it was our place to be the ones to make the uh, make the enforcement call on that. And so I vote against it. So Scott, uh, you know, critics on, on that position uh, would say something around the line of, 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 so who is going to enforce it? You know, you're saying that they, that they should, quote unquote, but isn't that the job of local government or, or is there another body that should be enforcing? It? I mean, how, how do you respond to that? Or what's, what's kind of the view? Who, who should be the one stepping up and, and taking lead there, if not the, the town? Well, and so your question, I think it, it kind of I mean, almost ties into some of my thinking that, you know, when the governor's office was putting forth these executive orders on COVID, uh, at the beginning, enforcement was really, there wasn't a lot of detail and support and specifics as to how the enforcement piece worked. And there was kind of um, some subjectivity to it and some different approaches by different local jurisdictions, depending on where you were in the state. Um, but the state of Illinois, you know, the, the executive orders are coming from the office of the governor. Uh, the executive branch of state government. Um, state uh, has been enforcing, and at least they were before things opened up, uh, enforcing some of these um, uh, violations of the governor's executive orders as they were doing them. Um, I thought that Joe's would be a candidate for them to look at if that's what they wanted to do, but they hadn't. So I didn't think that uh, we should be the ones to do it. Especially, okay. yeah, go ahead. Especially yeah. when it was a state executive order that was the, that's the whole piece of this. The only connection to the local liquor code is that we say they'll be in compliance with all state and federal law. So then one of the other controversies beyond just using the liquor commission, um, you know, the, the case, uh, I can't remember, was it Maggie Miley's or where the emails were going about, um, you know, police were sent there and, and, you know, who, who knows sent or requested, I'm not, we don't need to get into all that, but, um, is, is that a component that the town should be using, using the police to show up, write the reports, do that sort of thing, just to kind of almost fact find or or encourage the business? Along? Is that the role that should be being done? Yeah, I mean, I think I think as a you know general rule, I think our police department um, has uh, a lot of important things that they're doing. And, you know, do we want to pull them away from, you know, other maybe more urgent you know, uh, urgent crimes going on and urgent safety issues uh, for that. You know, I don't know. But those uh, that was not a policy decision that was set by the council one way or another. Uh, our staff overall um, does a tremendous job. Uh, I have the utmost respect for town and normal staff. Um, they uh, I mean, not only are they professionals and uh, capable within their specific industry and field, 
but they're also doing that at a time when uh, they're becoming more and more subject to scrutiny themselves, uh, not just the elected officials. And uh, I can't say enough about how our staff um, operates. Uh, I mean, just they're incredibly competent. Over so then I, I, I guess the final question I have anyway on the COVID side that I'd want to dig into is, so uh, the other piece to this was granting the mayor kind of emergency orders uh, uh, status to be able to, and I think I, initially the concept was, you know, be able to quickly respond, right, uh, to, to stuff where you can't get together. And the, the criticism is coming that's saying, well, now here it's been a year and you guys can get together still. Do we really need that? What's your take? What's your position on that when it comes to that emergency status for the mayor? Yeah. Yeah. So initially, I mean, you're right. It, you know, it, it, keep in mind, right. When we were talking about all this a year ago, uh, nobody had ever been through anything like this, of course. And so uh, a lot of it was, you know, making our best educated guess as to how, you know, how to approach the situation, seeing how other, you know, government, seeing how other trends were going. Um, but really at the beginning, you know, all of us, everybody kind of shooting in the dark because none of us have been through something like this before. Uh, and um, it was a way uh, with the mayor's executive orders, it was a way to kind of cut red tape, increase efficiency so that if there are uh, some serious and urgent time sensitive uh, public uh, safety and public health measures that needed to be taken, it didn't require having a, you know, a full council meeting with the advance notice and getting all of us together to be able to vote just to enact one, allowing the mayor to make those decisions quicker with then the understanding that it would be on a, a short time frame and it would then come to the council uh, for a longer enactment thereafter, uh, I think was the right approach. You know, as time has gone on, certainly we are all grateful for the fact that uh, not only is there one, but there's what, three different vaccines uh, that have been developed uh, to COVID-19. And as that distribution and people getting vaccinated continues to ramp up, as more and more things are opening, I think there's less and less need uh, for executive orders because, you know, we're, uh, we're, well, we're certainly not through it. Um, we are, uh, we're a lot better than we were. And uh, with this vaccine rollout, I mean, it can't come quick enough, I think, for the, uh, the, you know, the rest of it to, uh, rest of it, to, rest of it to come and rest of it to get done. So, Scott, tell me what's next uh, when we talk about COVID relief. Uh, what's what's the town looking at over the next? Uh, I'll say I'll say twelve to eighteen months because I think that's or probably a good eighteen months from from any kind of normalcy um, that we would expect. So, what's the town's plan on on economic recovery for you know businesses, of course, um, but then also the people as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, good question. So, as I mentioned, economic growth I think has got to be about our top priority, and as we're coming through. Um, COVID and getting on the, uh, you know, on the hopefully the better side of it, uh, of the pandemic, and then uh, later in a post-COVID world, uh, being able to be a place that people want to be, and businesses want to be, and people and businesses can afford to be, uh, is important. And I think that the town of normal is positioned in a way uh, for economic growth. I think it should be a priority that we should try and capitalize on. And at the end of the day, you know, economic growth is uh, attracting and retaining jobs um, in this community, uh, not just in normal, but, you know, in the, in the entire community. Um, and jobs, of course, you know, more people are working, they're buying homes, they're, you know, spending money at restaurants and shops and, you know, filling their car up with gas and, you know, it, all the way around 
uh, everybody is lifted um, when there's economic growth and when there's jobs. So that uh, that's got to be top priority. How, when we talk about jobs, um, you know, there's there's this interesting thing with COVID has, has developed where people no longer have to live where they work, right? Um, they can they can work where they live, and so how important is that balance um, to try to attract the worker that may not have their job here? Um, you know, and, and how does, how can the town position itself to, to be that destination where people want to come and cost of living stays down, but quality of life stays high and they can, you know, their, their job could be in California, New York or wherever Atlanta, but they're going to want to live here in normal. Absolutely. I mean, being a place people want to be and can afford to be, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It took the, uh, took the words out of my mouth. It, um, our, our quality of life, assets like Uptown, assets like Constitution Trail, assets like being a safe community with um, diversity of housing, though admittedly we need more of that and that uh, looks like that trend is going to continue. Um, but being a place where there's a reasonable cost of living, uh, there are good resources um, and there are good things for people to do. It's a place that people want to live. And I think that's attractive. I think it's attractive um, for individuals who uh, maybe want some of the aspects that our community has but they typically can only find that in larger cities, which cost more money. And uh, in that sense, uh, the affordability here by comparison um, is a good thing. We need to make sure that we're keeping our uh, taxes as low um, as we possibly can uh, for people. And we are fighting, we're swimming in an uphill stream being in the state of Illinois uh, with certainly the fiscal mess that the uh, state has been for a long time. Uh, I don't think that works to our advantage, but I think very much normal and booming to normal as a community. McLean County is an in spite of community. We, uh, in spite of the fact that we are in the state of Illinois, uh, you know, the town of Normal, we have a AAA bond rating. Um, we are growing and we are a, uh, we are a place that's attracting people. Um, and I hope that we continue to do that. So uh, we talked, I mean, as far as like assets that are going to want people to live here, I mean, we've talked about uptown. I think that's, that's fair. Um, Constitution Trail, I know was talked about a, a little bit, but so let's talk about two of those things that were in the uh, rapid fire round. And the first one um, is the sports complex. Where do you, you said you were, I think you said you were undecided, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, so what are your thoughts on it? Where does it need to be? How big, how small, where, where is it? What's the town's role in that uh, as well? Yeah, well, as, uh, as you'll recall, and I'm sure a number of your listeners will as well, it the entire conversation um, originated, at least as it was presented to us in early kind of anecdotal here and there, personal conversations as strictly, hey, we need a need for soccer. They were not going to be able to keep their fields out by the airport. Um, you know, we have a need for youth soccer uh, complex and fields um, in this community. That idea um, then grew and became uh, something that we've looked at as a multi-sport um, kind of economic development, uh, bringing asset. Um, and that's been kind of a larger conversation. The big piece to me, I'll just, I mean, I'll be direct with it. It was when, um, and remind me what the, uh, name of the firm is out of Florida. SFA. That did, SFA. Thank you. Um, when they came, I, uh, they did a community forum talking about, uh, some of their findings that, I mean, for three or four years ago, probably at this point, uh, Heartland Community College. And, uh, one of the questions that I raised my hand and asked, was because I was looking at their you know spreadsheets and kind of pro forma of economic activity, and what I was gathering um, at that time was that, and I raised my hand and asked, and it uh, at that point was confirmed. Now you know as new information becomes 
available. If that you know is a route that happens, I will look at anything with an open mind. But that the total economic activity that would be brought to this community as a result of what they were projecting of a multi-sport complex would not be enough to cover the expense um, that would be incurred to create the facility in the first place. We're not just talking like direct, you know, fees for, you know, playing on the soccer field or eating at the concessions there, or, you know, the like, right? We're talking total economic activity, gas stations, people, you know, running through McDonald's on their way to town, staying at hotels. The total economic benefit was not enough to cover our expense. I mean, as, you know, a guy who works during the day um, with real estate investment and looking at numbers and comparing good ROIs, that did not meet the criteria, um, in my mind for the economic development case to be made that, you know, it's kind of what it came down to. Right. Sure. So do you, um, what, what about this? There's still need for soccer fields though. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. So like, what's, what's the answer, I guess. And you may not have it. I'm putting you on the spot, but like, what's the answer to, uh, cause that's still a huge need. I mean, that's, that's hundreds of men in Jeremy would know better hundreds, if not thousands of, of families and kids. Um, that, that will be affected if we don't find a spot for them to play some soccer. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, I don't have the answer, but I did grow up playing soccer, you know, PCSL over at Rosa parks there on uh rev road, uh, kind of by Linden and normal. And a uh, hundred years ago now it uh, seems, but I don't have the answer. Uh, I'm sure that Jeremy does and uh, I'll be glad to hear it from him. But uh, I, I absolutely hear you on the need yeah. for soccer, which is why I kind of provided that context is, sure you know, the need, which then grew into a community development or community or economic development aspect for the community and how those two uh, kind of relate to each other. And, well, and yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I was going to say, and full disclosure for listeners, uh, yeah, I'm very involved in the soccer uh, complex and in, with uh, Illinois Fire Juniors. So, so I have, have some personal connections. So all the bias is, is known out front here. Um, and, and I wish I had the answer. Uh, that's why I have less hair because uh, trying to find the answer, it, it's, it's a long path of decades for people, many different paths and, and it's, it's hard and frustrating, but Scott, I think you hit it on the head of um, the economic development piece uh, in a lot of the, di- it, it's there, it's real. There are components of that, but does it pay for everything? And and that's the problem of if you try to go big and do one of those $40 million uh, complexes, it gets really hard to do the math unless you have major investment coming in. And w- without that, I can see sitting on council saying, you know, if honestly, if I was in your your shoes, I would have voted no as well. And that sounds weird. Me sitting on this side, I've said that to friends too, but uh, the numbers are tough. So yeah. just, well, yeah. I, pr- I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. So let's, let's change topics to another thing from the lightning round um, that you touched on, which was connect transit. And there, I mean, they have, they have taken some heat, some from people that you sit on the council with, um, but also from, you know, uh, just people in the public, um, those type of things. How do you, how good a job do you think they have been doing over the past several years? Um, and is there anything that you would like to see them do differently? I think that Connect has been. Um, I mean, I'm sitting here kind of going back and forth in my mind, as you guys can see in the Zoom. You know, <laughs> Connect has uh, they've been under the spotlight a lot more in the last probably two years than they were um, for a long time before then. And uh, that has pushed Connect into creating um, the committee that kind of looked overall at a working group or however they defined it, looked overall at um, how they operate, how they serve, how they, you know, look at their fees, 
uh, structure. One of the things that Connect um, did, which I uh, was really uh, pleased with, um, and I thought you know just was a great responsive thing, was when they had um, when they had initiated their new routes. Um, there was a part of Normal up near Orlando and Northbrook area, uh, close to Main Street, kind of by Main and Rab ish, but then further south and a little bit west. Um, where you're at this Orlando and Northbrook area and the, I believe it was the olive route was getting cut and it had served um, that specific area. And there was higher uh, usage of connect transit services from residents of normal who live there, or at least you get on and off the bus there. And that was an important um, general area that we needed to continue servicing. And uh, with some of the community conversation about that specifically here came then connect transit, where I think it then was the pink route that had gotten, reworked just slightly um, to be able to accommodate that Orlando and Northbrook area. And so in effect, what we, you know, what ended up happening was the olive route, I believe it was stopped there every either hour or every two hours. And with the pink route change by connect being able to do that, they were able to service that area every 30 minutes and actually increase um, access and increase frequency to provide more opportunity for people to, you know, get from, home to work or vice versa, or home to the grocery store, or, you know, whatever, right, that uh, that wanted to utilize um, Connect and rely on Connect. Um, that was something they did well. I think that Connect has been incredibly effective uh, in uh, securing federal dollars um, for a lot of what they've done. I honestly, I'm not sure if I've seen another organization who has been as effective as bringing home uh, some federal dollars to, uh, you know, this community consistently as, uh, as Connect has. And Kudos, uh, kudos to them for uh, really making their case and bringing that home. You know, now it, it, overall, the amount of money that you know Connect is um, looking at, and any increase in support uh, from the town is something that I don't think we're at a uh, point that I can support additional town dollars right now. Um, but overall, they uh, they're an asset to this community and. Um, I don't want to see Connect go away by any stretch, uh, even if I don't think that uh, the town should be increasing um, their allotment to Connect Transit. Very good. All right, so I'm gonna. We got just a few minutes left. And I want to hit on just a few topics, so they're going to seem random, but I did just I'm squeezing them in here in the last few minutes. Um, so we talked a lot about economic development, economic growth. You had touched on something um, earlier on in the podcast about creating less hurdles to do business, and I guess. This, this is an honest, uh, naive question of mine because I don't know the answer is how easy is it to do business in normal? Um, if I was a new uh, startup business, like uh, I'll just throw a retail shop in there for, for uh, argument's sake. If I want to start a retail shop in normal, what's that red tape look like? How hard is it? And is there anything that you could do to make it easier, especially in a post-COVID world when we're trying to you know, really get some of that business going again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good question. I'm glad you're thinking that way. And I think that uh, a lot more people uh, in, you know, community leadership or running in this conference or whatever um, should be thinking that way, too, because that's that's a big opportunity. I think that we are a good place to do business. Um, I think the town of Normal is an attractive place for a lot of reasons. Um, I do think that there is always, always room for improvement and always room to be uh, more business friendly um, by reducing um, I, I mean, fees, holding lines on taxes, uh, being able to um, have as simple and straightforward and upfront, transparent processes uh, as possible. That's one of those that, you know, as we're talking like uptown, one of the things with incentives without 
derailing too much into this, you know, having a community wide, like standard of, Hey, if X company, you know, is looking to come here and bring jobs here, but isn't currently, you know, operating here in this community at that level, um, having a set of standards that Bloomington, Normal, the county, you know, our small communities uh, in rural McLean all agree to, it removes subjectivity of, uh, you know, picking winners and losers. It removes, um, in a lot of senses, competition between Bloomington Normal um, to the extent that that uh, has existed in the past. And I think that, you know, X number of jobs at X level of pay uh, equals X incentive, if that's what's required to get you here, and that's the make or break, I think is something that uh, would make sense as long as the, uh, you know, as long as the details are, it devil's in the details always, but on concept, I, I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense from a lot of bad news. Um, and the listeners can't see me smiling. It's because you said if you can get the town, the city, and the county to all agree, and I had to, I had to smile a little bit there. Uh, that, I mean, that, that could take a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got, you got one vote with me, so you know, right. only another, what, 30 to go? There you go. Yeah. So Scott, I know we're uh, we're out of time, but we want to make sure that uh, if anybody wants to find out more about you, contact you, uh, donate, volunteer, et cetera, how do they reach out? How do they get a hold of you? Absolutely. So this election cycle is, uh, it, I mean, not only is it important, but it's just it's just intense. I mean, I think anybody who's following along, uh, specifically normal, uh, understands we have nine candidates running for three spots, and we are all at large in the town. So unlike Bloomington in the ward system you know, we have to get votes and we have to, you know, create an operation, the entire town and uh, doing so in that kind of environment with so many candidates, uh, it just is inherently more difficult. That's good because it uh, increases transparency, but it also just takes a lot more time and effort to do it. So I appreciate, uh, of course, any support, any thoughts um, that anybody has in the town. Uh, if you want to help in some way, we would love to have you. Um, uh, Prestonfornormal.com is our website. Uh, Councilman Scott Preston on Facebook uh, is another way to get a hold of us. And uh, Scott at Preston for Normal uh, is you know my direct email that we've set up through the campaign uh, that uh, you know I'm getting push notifications for. I'm you know checking all the time. So uh, would love to uh, have people. And of course, any listeners uh, who live in Normal, I would be uh, remiss and I would not be doing my job if I didn't uh, ask for uh, ask for their support and ask for their vote on or before April 6th for those who uh, like what they're hearing today in this conversation. Awesome. Well, one thing I have to say before I say goodbye is that we have to thank a sponsor because Little Beaver has been absolutely phenomenal with us. They have sponsored every one of these election edition podcasts. And Scott, I know you said you listened to quite a bit of them. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it is a lot of work and that's why we bring in, you know, good folks like Jeremy and Amelia to help host some of these, uh, because it's a lot of time and a lot of effort to get through all the candidates, but we have somehow managed to do it. And a lot of that is thanks to Little Beaver. So they just extended their hours too. They're open till 9 p.m. every day now. So 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. They're at Five Finance Drive in Bloomington. They have over 24 beers on tap that they make right there on on site. And they have great food, pizza, burgers. It's kid friendly. And with this nice weather we're having while we're recording this anyway, I don't know if it's going to get colder over the next week, but the sun's shining. So I'm sure their patio is open too. So check them out on Facebook for all the, uh, all the information. It's Little Beaver Brewery. Thanks to them. And Scott, thanks to you for uh, taking time out of a beautiful day that you could be outside. And being inside uh, talking to us, we appreciate it. No place I'd rather be. Great to be with you guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks, God. Thanks.